Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I'm Mike, joined once again by Price uh, for the third, where's this fourth? Yeah, third of the draft series. Price, good to have you on the show again. Thanks for having me. So today we are talking about Scoot Henderson. So Scoot, presumptive number two pick in this draft. Could be Brandon Miller. Who knows? We all know who's going first, of course, is Victor. We'll be talking about him next week. So just a quick bit of background about Scoot before we get started on the analysis. Six foot two, and I think G League measures with without shoes, excuse me. So I think that's an actual six foot two, which means he's between six one and six two, of course, since they always round up. 195 pounds, six foot nine wingspan, about 19 and a half at the time of the draft. So uh, Price, you and I, when we did the Thompson Twins, talked about how obscenely bad of a league overtime elite is. This is the opposite. G League is significantly harder than the NBA, excuse me, than the NCAA, definitely not the NBA. Significantly harder than the NCAA. Uh, like a lot of your best players in the NBA, excuse me, NCAA who do not get drafted might end up in the G League. The average D1 NCAA player will never sniff the G League. So uh, Scoot played against pretty hard competition. This was his second season. He reclassified to join the G League Ignite. He was a little past 17 and a half when he first played there. So just a quick run through the stats, 25 games played. 26 minutes per game, 17 and a half points, about five rebounds, six and a half assists, uh, one steal, one half block, uh, about three and a half turnovers, 44.3, 32.4, 75 stats, so 55% true shooting, uh, about 47.3% effective field goal percentage. Uh, one note about the G League, you can look at his stats and it, it looks like he only averages, well, it basically says he averages 2.9 free throws attempted per game. Uh, in the G League, every trip to the free throw line is just one free throw, period. So he actually technically attempted a lot more than that. Uh, and the way that they did it also reduces, you know, reduces true shooting percentage because you're, you know, attempting less free throws. And finally, 3.3 fouls per game. The G League is a 10 foul out league as opposed to five, uh, excuse me, six in the NBA, five in the NCAA. All right. So uh, now that I've talked for a little while, uh, let's talk about pros. Uh, again, when it, you know, when it came to Brandon Miller, I was totally shocked when you said his shooting, you know, as it is, as his chief <laughs> pro, you know, that was, that was absolutely just floored me. Uh, and I, I don't think it's like, I have no idea, like truly no idea what you're going to say here first about Scoot. So let's hear it. Uh, I'm going to start off with maybe a real hot take, but whole oh boy, is he a heck of an athlete? Um, oh my goodness. I, I didn't see this coming. All right, I anyway, yeah. Shocking to some, maybe. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's people with eyes. Um, so if you watch Scoot, you'll see just incredible athleticism. Um, he's six foot two, but the fact that he's able to um, be as high level of a player is precisely because of his his dynamicism um, as an athlete. Both amazing first step, explosive leaper, um, extremely coordinated in all facets of the the court. Um, long arms uh, for his size, which is very, very important. Big hands. Huge um, hands. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forget the exact, but you know, it's they're, they're up there. Um, and just, I, I can't rave enough about his athleticism, especially as like a functional player, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. The athleticism is off the charts. I mean, I know we talked about Amen Thompson having great athleticism. I mean, Scoot is would be a very special NBA athlete. His first step could be the best in the entire league. His zero to sixty is insane. Like it, it barely looks like he. It's like he almost just goes from standing still or just kind of moving at a at a slow pace to full speed in about half a second. It's incredible. 
And when he's running the floor in transition, you'll think that he's going at top speed and then suddenly hits the afterburners and just blazes in. It's just something that's, it's just really something to behold. He's like very much a fast switch athlete in every respect. You know, his body control and agility are great. Uh, his leaping ability, I kind of feel like he's pretty good off of one foot. Uh, if just under normal circumstances, if you give him a runway, he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I think is a little underrated is his ability to change speed and direction. Yeah. He can be blazing toward the basket and stop on a dime. I mean, elite deceleration. Yeah, no, that's that's something that we were looking for in Ivy's game that sort of developed over the course of the season. Scoot's younger than Ivy and is already like a more just uh, dynamic player with the ball in his hand in terms of that stop-start ability where not only can he explode and he's very sudden like Ivy, but he has that ability to just pause on a dime and just let the space that his athleticism created actually manifest into an open shot, which is just going to be one of the central ways that that he scores in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's really something. I mean, I, I'm not comparing him to Harden, though I do, I do see a bit of James Harden in him. But something I think a lot of people don't know about James Harden, who's not particularly athletic, he's only elite in one skill, and that's deceleration. And he's off the charts in terms of deceleration. And that's been a big part of his game. And Scoop might not be quite there, but his his just his ability to decelerate and then accelerate again and, and just to change directions and speeds mm-hmm. is really something else. Yeah, no, I think you can absolutely see elements of Harden with the ability to sort of work his his matchups when he gets into isolation on uh particularly guards. It's gonna be a thing of beauty to watch, just kind of Scoot's ability to just stop, pivot, and then explode into his his next look or we'll get to the passing just the everything flows out of this amazing athletic toolbox one thing i do want to hit upon real quick this draft pretty much top to bottom in terms of where the pistons pick is going to end up between one through five loaded with good athletes good to great to elite athletes and you know scoot's definitely up there um with amen and and victor yeah, surely you're referring to Jarris Walker, right? Nah, no, yeah, that, oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. You don't want somebody who shoots like 40% on drives? Yeah, give me a break. Um, anyway, hope, yeah, maybe we'll tell, hopefully we will not end up talking about Jarris oh, Walker. Geez. Because if we have, then something terrible has happened. Yeah. So, yeah, he's it, it, just, yeah, the athleticism is just, yeah, we, we could talk about the athleticism for 20 minutes. I mean, it, it's amazing. And his body control and agility. Hmm. Like in addition to just the deceleration, I mean, just the guys, just you, you couple that with his speed, his you know his acceleration, and yeah, he's he's just the whole package, athletically speaking. I mean, Ivy is an increase, a very very explosive athlete. He doesn't quite have that body control or the agility. I mean, those really aren't his strong suits. His strong suits are exploding through lanes, whereas Scoot has you know an even better acceleration and is just much better able to work his way through defenses than Ivy is though. He doesn't only do it with the speed, but yeah, uh, we should mention his strength as well. I mean, he's very, very strong. Oh yes. Yes. That that's you, you look at the guy and it's like, he's a brick house. This is one of the most built six, two people on the planet. Um, and he's all of 19. Like you're kind of like the Duran esque mold where it's like, he's how old, you know, you, you kind of yeah. have to, you look at him and it's like, he is very, very built on top of everything. 
Yeah. I mean, I think we should go back to the fact that he went into the G League at age 17 and a half. And I talked a bit about the, the level of competition in the G League. And compared to the NBA, it's a joke, of course. Yeah. Any league compared to the NBA is a joke. I mean, the NBA, these guys are inconceivably talented at basketball. Mm-hmm. When you compare it to anything else, I mean, the G League is one of the best leagues in the world. And it's, it's a significant step, a very significant step above the NCAA. And he went in there at 17 and a half. Yeah, I mean, the G League Ignite is a very weird program, very new. Um, but nonetheless, they're playing in a very high-level men's league. Um, and Scoot was the youngest player when he yeah. stepped onto the court in the G League. Ever. And youngest player ever at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I Yeah. I believe that is the case. And it was just easy for him pretty much right away. Like this, this guy is just kind of on, on another level when it comes to athleticism, but also a lot of basketball skills. Yeah. He's, he's got some wrinkles he has to, to smooth out, but and we'll, we'll certainly talk about those. So uh, yeah. Anything else to talk about on the, on the physical side of things? I mean, of course his size is a downside. I mean, six yeah. foot two, the NBA is like, <laughs> I mean, 10 years ago, being six foot two is not really a disadvantage. Today, it is a disadvantage. Yeah, it's an arms race at the NBA level right now where you can't, you, you want just jumbo players at every position. You want people who are long, strong, bigger, faster, et cetera, just higher and higher levels of overall freakish athleticism at, at a given size. Like Cade Cunningham is like, was billed so highly in a large part because he's a giant point guard and, you know, on and on uh, up the the lineup um, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to be a small guy in the NBA these days. I mean, Chauncey Billups was probably about Scoot Henderson's size, uh, about his height rather. Uh, just did, it just looked a little bit different back then because genuinely the average player these days is taller, faster, more athletic, stronger, and size gets exploited in a way that it didn't 20 years ago. Yep. So, all right, let's move on to talking about his pros on offense. And again, you know, probably the obvious one here is attacking the basket. Yep. So, I mean, what do you say? What, what more could you really want from a guard as a um, as a guy with, you know, freakish ability to change course in the air? Um really, really smart attacker in the paint. Um, I Again, he's fearless, plays super tough um, mm-hmm. against guys bigger than him, of which there are quite a few at the G League level. Um, and he, he just isn't ever scared of the moment. That's, you know, a mentality thing that he, that really is evident in all parts of his game. But sure. especially when he's, he's climbing up there, it's, it's quite, quite something i mean guy can hit right hand left hand um counter moves uh great two feet great with the runway as you mm-hmm. said um pretty good on one foot not quite amen thompson like one foot um verticality yeah. that's that's probably amen's like most like separator type athletic tool um scoot isn't quite that level of an athlete but not off of one really, foot no not off of one foot but really good and and yeah yeah i mean uh, it's just it's hard to say enough about his uh, his tool set in terms of attacking the basket yeah tough to stop explosive shifty agile strong bouncy like a strong through contact fearless clever 
I mean, he doesn't only attack with his explosiveness, too. He can really break down defenses like a surgeon using his athletic tools just in terms of his just ability to position himself to change those change directions and speeds. I mean, of course, if you give him a few feet open, he can blaze through it, but he's very surgical in how he approaches it. He's very smart. Yeah, and, and then that brings me to the next key point, which is the passing. Oh, let me get so let me do a little bit further on the driving then. Oh, I figured sure. you'd have more to say about this. So something just in terms of his intelligence off the drive. Like it even comes down to like his awareness is great. He picks his spots well. He shifts where necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, for example, is just smart about how he shoots. He has good, great touch, of course. Yep. But he just he knows how to position himself. He knows where the defenders around him are. He shields mm-hmm. the ball super well. He was blocked mm-hmm. three times in the restricted area this season. And of course, the NBA is going to be harder. But I mean, you get blocked three times in the restricted area on the volume that he did. That's that's something. And like I said, yeah, the touch, of course, is great too. And yeah, let's just talk a little bit. I know you want to talk about the passing, and, and this, this part lays into it. But just like good luck to the average defender in the NBA in pick and rolls. Like he's going to draw endless doubles around screens because like the average center is not going to be able to keep up with him. And then the passing comes in very much. Yeah, and, and the reason why is because the passing sets up the driving and the driving sets up the passing. They're, yeah. they're two very um, uh, synergistic skills for Scoot. Um, and that, oh, yeah. that also just... It's a complete blow you away type passer. Like this guy is going to be a absolute force in the pick and roll. Um, it's it's going to be awesome to watch. Just the ability to know like where the soft parts are on the defense, and he isn't. He's a very willing passer. Um, quite creative in his reads. Um, I always felt like that he never put himself or rarely put himself in a bad position. And when people commit to the pass, he can bring it towards the basket. When people guard that, boom, he knows where his outlets are. And yeah, it's, it, it's going to be so, so tough, even for NBA level defenders to um, really uh, toy around with him on that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he has incredible gravity because of that, just because of his athleticism. He has incredible gravity. He'll collapse defenses. And like critically, he can, his mind can perceive, you know, and, and make decisions at the speed of his body. Like a lot of these guys can go real fast, but the mind can't keep up with, with just how fast they're going, even at the NBA level. He is able to operate with just very surgical precision, precision as a passer going at like, full tilt like full tilt for him which is really full tilt uh, which, which i think is, is absolutely worthy of mention yeah that, i mean that's that's gonna be the sort of real money maker skill for him is that combination of how do you stop this guy from cutting us apart it's and, and you see guys with the that sort of high level thinking that's what it takes to be an, a true number one on ball creator you know, conductor of the offense, like a Luka Doncic, just being able to perceive where weaknesses are and have the skill and the athletic gifts to get to his spots. And it just so so happens for his spots to be high, high scoring areas in in a lot of ways, high producing areas. Oh, comparing him to Luca, I mean that's something. I'm not sure if I'd if I'd rank him that highly as a I, passer. I wouldn't put him on that level. 
no really? one's no one's on that level of a passer as okay. Luka, other than Jokic, um, in the modern NBA at least. I think those are the the two forefront guys when it comes to basketball mind breaking down defenses. But Scoot has a di- di- dimension that those two guys lack, which is his his athleticism, and yeah. that that's going to help open up um, so many options for him because you're right a lot of guys can cut through the defense but they don't necessarily know where to go and that's the difference for me why like Amen Thompson is nowhere nowhere near the level of prospect because Amen Thompson can break a defense down with his athleticism and he's a good passer too but he he gets himself into trouble mm-hmm. and these are against much worse players in a oh, Mickey much, Mouse much worse. <laughs> yeah much worse They're against legitimate borderline NBA players yeah, and I know I've said this already, but I mean, Scoot's a super, super fast player, and his mind can move at the speed of his body. And yep. yeah, I think he'll be probably nine out of ten passer at the NBA level. You know, eight and a half, nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just just very good court vision. You know, he he can throw these bullet passes out of the pick and roll, just off the drive. And yeah, it, it's definitely something. And I think it's a skill that he'll continue to refine because right now, I mean, he's just a little bit past nineteen years old. And just, yeah, the fusion of that passing ability and the athleticism and the touch. And yeah, it, it, it's really something else. And yeah, I, I agree. It's one of the things that places him well beyond Amen, Amen Thompson. I mean, I'd say Scoot's still the better athlete of the two. But in terms of his basketball thinking, he's far ahead of Amen, who's a good passer. But mm-hmm. like you said, struggled against really absolutely horrible competition in some ways. So yeah. uh, in terms of off-ball... So very strong cutter. Basically, if you if he doesn't have the ball and you give him like two steps toward the basket and hit him with the ball, he's exploding through a lane and nobody's going to find him. And it's probably going to end with like a massive two-handed dunk with his head above the rim. Yeah, I, I mean, dynamic off-ball mover. Just the, the, this guy, um, when he he gets locked in, it's really hard for him to not get open. And uh, if you're a Pistons fan, uh, you definitely can start liking that type of thing um the guy moves really well uh yeah i i i think there's a lot of potential with him as a backdoor cutter and be putting up some nice posters yeah even not necessarily for me it's not only just as a backdoor cutter like you you saw i feel like a lot in the g league that he'd give up the ball and then maybe back off a little bit and take two steps forward. And, and this would happen over the course of like less than a second. And then he get hit with a bounce pass and he was on his way through an open lane. And that was it. I mean, a lot of defenders in the NBA, especially if you get him switched onto somebody slower, are going to have an impossible time keeping up with him off the ball. And, you know, that, that can generate quite a few opportunities. And the thing is, if you go to help, he's going to find the open man. Like if somebody actually gets there in time, he's going to find the open man. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then transition, of course, he's fantastic. You know, for for obvious reasons, the second gear is amazing. Yeah, like him, uh, he he absolutely can keep up with anybody in a foot race. Just it's it's quite fun. He's a fun player. I don't know, like how else to put it, Mike. It's just it's on offense. There's a ton to love, and yeah. any team that gets him is going to be excited. Yeah. And, you know, I did have some shooting stuff in the pros section here. I'll just go over briefly. Like, I think his shooting potential is good. I think he's not one of these guys who, like like the Thompsons, for example, who both has bad percentages and bad form. 
I feel like he's got, he had shot kind of like a mediocre percentage, like 32 and a half percent on low volume. Uh, but I like the form. I like the form on the pull-up. I like the form just on his catch and shoot a little bit less, but I still like it. And you have guys, for example, like Jalen Green, who shot poorly in college, but you'll like his form. Gives you just a better chance at things. And he had he had some good periods of mm-hmm. in, in terms of his ability to uh, just pull off a mid-range and in pretty form. And at times, that was a good weapon for him. Yeah, I think that's... Um, it, it, it. The shooting form is a really nice... Uh, complement to everything it's definitely going to be in under the areas of improvement right. um, when we talk about shooting in general but the the baseline borderline or sorry the the building block of his shooting form means that we should have at least some degree of hope that mm-hmm. it'll come that he might not ever be a real high volume guy but boy if you if you give scoot like league average shooting on you know, pull-ups, um, whew, yeah. good luck. Good exactly. luck. Yeah, if he pulls the shooting together, I mean, I feel like he's got good pull-up potential. He's got good step-back potential. Like, I could see him, you know, taking the odd step-back three and doing doing a decent shot at it. And I know we say that, you know, if he can shoot as a big proviso, I've got a lot of faith in Scoot in terms of his ability to get it together to at least an average point as a shooter. I, again, it'll be a, uh, something that he'll have to progress at, but the upside with the shooting is legitimate the mid mid-range game in particular i think will come first for him it seems like that's something he's already pretty comfortable with and now it's just about kind of expanding out to the nba of three-point line and being better off the catch being catcher being sorry better off the move on the catch like movement shooting if that adds in then he'll be an unstoppable offensive weapon yeah yeah, he's uh, it's it, just the potential there is is really something. And again, I mean, he shot about thirty two and a half percent, which isn't awful. He did do it on low volume though. So I guess that transitions us into his primary con, which is the shooting. <laughs> so let's talk about it from you know from the negative side of things. Uh, yeah, just in general, it's not something he's comfortable with. Um, I think that he doesn't show a lot especially as a catch and shoot guy right now Mm -hmm. it's low volume and not great percentages and i think it seems the like the most lacking part of his game but also think about it like this guy probably grew up with the basketball in his hand okay like he's Mm -hmm. been a special player for many years before he entered the g league so he might not have the quite the same off-ball uh, knowledge and skill set kind of ready-made for the NBA at this point, but he's 19. I, I just can't think he's going to be a bad shooter the rest of his career. That's just me, though. Yeah, I've, I've just got faith in his form. I've got faith that he'll get it together. Uh, generally, like I said, if he can shoot, is those are dangerous words, but I've got faith. Uh, that Scoot can do it. Yeah. But he does need to do some work on his form. Uh, he, he does need to become a, a viable catch-and-shoot guy unless he's going to be kind of like a, just a very heliocentric dude, which I guess is conceivably possible. But, you know, even then, you you want to be a heliocentric guy. You still have to be able to shoot. So that's kind of what I just said doesn't necessarily hold any water. Like Luca, for example, shoots an incredible volume of, of pull-up threes. And that's an integral part of his skill set. Of course, he's not the athlete that Scoot is, but 
there's not really anybody at the NBA level who's just going to be able to get by with with just attacking. I mean, it's just too easily punished. So that's got to come along, and off ball utility has got to come along. He's got the cuts, but he's also got to be able to shoot. So and as yeah. we've seen as Pistons fans over the last too long, um, guards that can't shoot tend not to really work out in the NBA these days. Guards and wings in general who can't shoot is just they they can't really seem to hang in in not just a starting role but even in a rotation. It's just very very hard to play them unless they have a truly unique skill set, and mm-hmm. it's the type of thing where they if they if it doesn't come, it's going to severely limit uh, their ability to impact the modern game with how spaced out everything is. Yeah, absolutely. And, while it's good because it opens lanes to the basket with how spaced out the NBA is also they're not going to be people who are going to be, you know, primarily down in the paint, you know, doing big things either. So they need to be able to shoot and stretch the floor and actually be uh, someone the defense has to account for on the perimeter, because if you can just defenses are perfectly willing to let a bad shooter take shots. Oh yeah. that is a battle they are more than willing to fight. So it will limit his kind of overall gravity if that doesn't come. But man, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to happen too. But yeah, I mean, even for a guy like Scoot, even with his athleticism ability to attack the basket and his passing, even the fusion of those two, if he can't shoot, I mean, it hurts. Yeah, like you said, defense is a sag off of you. You cannot participate in finishing plays from the perimeter. You can't space the floor. Life is more difficult for everybody else on your team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's it's too painful. You know, basically almost no matter who you are. Like we saw Giannis. Like basically Giannis, of course, needs to be surrounded by by four shooters. And you know, he was playing injured against the Heat, but we also just saw his limitations in the half court. You know, it's it's just even for a guy like Giannis being un- unable to shoot is, is a big problem. So yeah, he's got to get that together and just more off-ball utility in general. Yeah. So, but uh, I, I feel like he's he's so much further along than than the likes of like Amen Thompson in terms of his shooting, just in terms of in terms of form and upside. I think he's just much higher. Agreed. All right, uh, let's move on to defense. So, let's say on defense, of course, the the athleticism helps. You know, great lateral movement, great at sticking, and he's strong, and he's long, and he's long. Yeah, uh, you know, he's got good anticipation in terms of playing passing lanes. Can easily explode into them. He's got good hands in general as far as stripping the ball goes. Can occasionally fly in for a block. You know, when he's when he's engaged, he he's, he's just a pretty strong point of attack defender. Yeah, I I mean this he has a lot of quote unquote dog in him. So he as long as he tries with his athletic tools, then he'll be able to guard other guards at a very high level. Um and be pretty good, as you said, on the point of attack. It'll It'll be um, a real strength for him, to be honest. It's just uh, there's other limitations that come with his size that we'll get into. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything else to say about his pros on defense. Uh, I, I think he's he'll be a fairly strong point of attack guy. I don't think he's necessarily going to be an above average defender. I think probably average is, is what he'll top off at, which is going to be fine. But of course, you go to his cons and size, and size is not something that can be fixed. Yeah, it it doesn't. It seems like he matured early too, so I don't think we're gonna get any sort of like late like adding an extra inch onto him or anything. I think what you see is pretty much what you're gonna get. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just he 
he'll try his best, but again, being six foot two in the NBA is just these days a recipe to get cooked. And it'll happen. Switched on to bigger wings. They'll probably be able to have their way with him. Can't really guard up at mm-hmm. all. Um, but the fact that he won't be eminently huntable, like he'll actually have some positive matchups on defense, Yeah, I think is a huge, huge burden off of the team that's acquiring him because, as we see with Trey, Trey can oh, be a real, a real force on offense in all these different ways, but when it comes to playoffs and matchups become all important, he's he's a massive liability. Oh, he's miserable garbage. I mean, his defensive IQ is bad, but you know, in addition to his size being awful, yep. I mean, he's just easily bullied by everybody. So is John Morant. He's just easily bullied by anybody, and and absolutely not switchable in any respect. And but yeah, man, Trey is butter on defense. So Scoot, at least, I totally agree with what you said. Yeah, Scoot will have some positive matchups. He's strong, which will serve him to a degree. You know, to like a small degree, he'll have that, which which Morant and Trey Young do not in terms of just. It'll be a tool, like against bigger players. It's not going to win the battle, but it's better than you know being small and weighing like 180 pounds. Right. Those guys are, you know, a lot of the comparables that you'll probably see, but the that's sort of a difference level with Scoot, where Scoot isn't going to be muscled off the point of attack as easily, mm-hmm. and that can like just influence things enough where if you have a coherent defense built around him, then you'll actually probably get uh, better results. I'd imagine at least unless Scoot completely just loses all of his motivation or drive to defend, which we've seen happen, I suppose. But for me, that's, that's more of a between the ears thing and we don't get access to players like that as, as a people in the fan world. Hmm. Do you know how long Trey Young's wingspan is? I pro- I mean, it might be shorter than mine. I don't know. Six foot two. It, I mean, it's, it's, he's basically got crocodile arms, and to, you know, as as well as being dumb on defense. Okay, but I don't need to be that. Uh, I don't need to be that caustic about it. He has bad defensive IQ. He weighs like one hundred and seventy five pounds. He came into the league weighing one sixty five. Uh, you know, and he's got a very very poor wingspan. Ja at least is around six foot seven, but that's that's not going to save Ja. I mean, he's still. Again, weighs like 175 pounds and yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. Scoot's not yeah. going to struggle anywhere near that much. I wasn't being hyperbolic. I I actually have a six foot three and a half, almost six foot four wingspan. So, nice. yeah, yeah. Again, I'm way shorter than Trey, but I got long arms. It it's That's actually kind of ridiculous that, that Trey has shorter wing, wingspan than I do. Hey, man, you also have no NBA miles on your body. It might not be over for you. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any college eligibility left? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I'm entering the transfer portal, getting my NIL money as we speak. Awesome. Sweet. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, all right. So, yeah, I think uh, also I have like a little bit in the way of concerns about his, his defensive IQ. Like he'll occasionally flunk rotations or make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. I mean, it's, it's not ruinously bad and... You know, as as is often the case in this situation, it's difficult to know that somebody who is just kind of like below average rather than absolutely horrible, whether that this is just a matter of seasoning. I I mean, I think he's going to come into the league as a better defender than Ivy. So, you know, low bar. Low bar. Yeah. Yeah. Ivy did a lot of things well 
particularly in the second half of the season. But uh, defense, there were no lack of trying on his part. It was it was still a struggle. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Anything else on on the defensive end you can think of? I mean, he'll probably get a surprising number of highlight reel dunk or not dunks up blocks just due to general athletic tools for a guy who's six foot two. He'd be like, Scoot Henderson blocked that, but it won't yeah. be like a real major thing. But you'll you'll see it, I think, from time to time in a in a way that'll be part of his highlight package. Yeah. And also probably a fair number of steals as well. He hunts yeah. those pretty well without gambling. I'm just remembering, do you remember when Nate Robinson was probably like 5'8 without shoes, I think? You remember when he blocked Yao Ming? <laughs> Anything's possible. No, he did. It did happen. Like, I was thinking about Nate Robinson when we were yeah. talking about size being a disadvantage on defense. And like by the time like the 2014-2015 season rolled around, I mean, the, the jig was up on players who were that short. Yep. I mean, Nate Robinson was sixth man of the year at one point. So he was defensive liability, I'm quite certain, even back then. But I remember... Like, but at that point, he was only getting like 10 day contracts, uh, but uh, he was, I think, playing for the Clippers. I can't remember whom. And, and they went up against the Warriors and Sean Livingston like made a living and posting up smaller guards. And he posted up Nate Robinson and had like nine inches on him. And I was like, oh, goodness, I feel bad for this guy. He has no chance. And he had no chance. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. 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 yeah of course, five foot eight and, and six foot two are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so what do you see as his floor? Like, let's assume that he doesn't get a shooting together. Guys are able to just go under screens on him uh, uh, and or sag off on him. Maybe like a version of like Tyler Hero, like uh, six man of the year type candidate. Where Really? With no shooting? I mean, but with the athleticism and passing, it'll, I think he'll still put up points on, on against bench units. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not so confident in that. I think just if he can't get it together as a shooter, I think it's just going to hurt too badly. I think he would just be one of those guys who might be a decent backup point guard, but it's going to be tough to play in the postseason. Like Harrow, at least, is an elite shooter. Like if you're an elite shooter, you're always going to eat in the NBA. But if you're, you know, if you're a horrible shooter, I think it can it can easily flunk you out, even if you've got his his upsides. I think that he'd be one of those guys that teams would take chances on again and again and again, and he'd stay yeah. in the league a long time. Oh, yeah. And the other thing, too, is that I don't even know if he's going to be a horrible shooter. It's just I don't know if it'll ever I, I don't know if, if in the worst case, I still think that he'll be an OK shooter. It's just that he won't be able to be a conductor of the offense without it. Yeah, he'll struggle in that capacity. Yeah, I, I think I'd see his floor is kind of like low 30s as a shooter. Yeah, like and, 31, 32. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's like 31, 32 on like a, a really heavy diet of pull ups, then that's, you know, then that's one thing. Though, of mm-hmm. course, you don't want to be taking those pull ups if you're shooting that badly. You know, if he's a guy who whose percentage is that low because of the difficulty of his shots and he can hit those catch and shoots at a decent level, then then that's fine. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's a balancing yeah. act at that point. But I, I'm yeah. saying like even as like a catch and shoot guy, if he doesn't get above, 31, 32%, then there's no way he's starting. Yeah, it would make it difficult, definitely. So I, well, on a bad team, he'll he'll be able to start, but I'm saying I'm like a good team. Yeah. It's yeah, you just uh, I remember the last time we saw somebody come into the league with this fusion of athleticism, you know, IQ passing ability. So it's kinda kinda hard to puzzle it out as far as mm-hmm. what it would look like if he couldn't shoot, but it would definitely lower his ceiling very dramatically, pretty much as it does for any perimeter player who can't shoot. Yep. Yeah. Uh now ceiling. You know, I feel like I know you're going to say it could be an MVP caliber player if he can shoot well, and I could agree with that. 
I mean, there's a, there's a ton of like a more athletic Harden, smaller, more athletic Harden in his game. Um, I think a more dynamic John Morant. There's like the upside with with Scoot on the 99 percentile outcome is just just amazing. Just you 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 take that guy and you build around him and can completely transform your franchise. Yeah, for sure, I agree. Yeah, I, I see a lot of Harden in his in his game, just in in the IQ and, and and the ability to parlay his athletic you know his athletic gifts. And again, Harden's only real athletic gift was just absolutely elite athletic. Uh, excuse me, elite ability to decelerate. And you know, so of course they're very different in that respect. And I'd be shocked if Scoop became as good of a shooter as Harden, who was just obscenely good. And yeah. but like a more athletic, less sweet shooting version of Harden. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it out of the question for him to get there. And like when we talked about Amen Thompson, I mean, you, you said that you feel that if he gets a shot together, he could become like an MVP caliber player. Do you feel like Scoot has the higher ceiling even there, despite the, the difference in size? You know, I think that the I would say so because there's just more of a demonstrable basketball intel like brain there, intellect wise, that he he just processes the game in such a, uh, as you said, surgical way, very, very anticipatory, while at the same time, ability to adapt and change plans when new information is presented to him. It's, I think he'll be able to better utilize whatever offensive um, athletic gifts he does have than Mm. Amen will, even at like their top, top end outcomes. Yeah, I agree. And Scoot is, uh, I believe, just extremely well positioned to fully capitalize upon his athleticism in a way that very few players are. Uh, so here's another question, and this one will loom large if the Pistons pick number two. Uh, could almost be a little bit stressful if they if they end up with number two, and that is the fit with the Pistons, and you know that that could determine if they you know if they go with Brandon Miller over Scoot, for example. So the fit, of course, the Pistons have Cade, who, who projects as a very high-volume handler, you know, very smart. I think he'll be a three-level scorer, uh, you know, can, can see two steps ahead. He's, he's a good passer. And then Ivy, who, of course, you know, I'd say projects as a secondary ball handler, a guy who spends a decent amount of time on the ball as well. And then you inject Scoot in there. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's the, the fit isn't necessarily that clean um, right now. Uh, with what we think Cade and what we think Ivy are and are going to become. But, you know, it, on a certain level, I think he'd be a really good, he or Ivy or even Cade, I guess, would be a really good backup in the in the worst case. So, you know, uh, I think for the immediate fit, you just take it and see what happens. But it's it's the type of thing where if they really like Brandon Miller, I could see them trying to move back in a in a very strong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that if you pick Scoot, you do so with the knowledge that you're likely going to move on from one of the other guys, you know, from from Cade or from Ivy, that they will just be, you know, you'll say, okay, good problem to have. Hopefully they all pan out and I'll trade one of them for a big package. Yeah, and hopefully yeah, I- you trade trade the right one and it's not like a james harden situation you trade him and becomes an mvp well you trade him because your ownership is incredibly cheap and you ended up 
you know, signing Kendrick Perkins to a contract that was too large. What's funny back then is that they almost had Tyson Chandler instead of Kendrick Perkins, <laughs> and he would have cost less. Can you yeah. imagine like a a long term core of Harden, Westbrook, Durant, and Tyson Chandler, and that's a team that probably wins like multiple, like two or three championships because Tyson Chandler was like an overpowering defensive player back then. Yep. So, uh, in any case, yeah. So yeah, of course you hope you trade the right one. I would have concerns in terms of his fit with both players with Cade. I mean, Scoot is a guy who's going to operate a lot on the ball because that's where mm-hmm. his strengths are. Cade is a guy who operates a lot on the ball. And then when it comes to Ivy, I'd have less concerns about the fit. Uh, I mean, the, the defense would, would be a problem. You've got to really undersize Scoot. And then Ivy, who's not really all that big himself and also kind of like has just, just has defensive issues. But it just in terms of awareness and decision-making, hopefully he works them out. But it was concerning this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's kind of the, the trade-off, right, where you, you Ivy, at the very least, looks like a pretty safe bet to be in that secondary mold as a as a ball handler, and mm-hmm. he's shown that he's very capable at it, which is a very positive sign for him, but yeah. it, I don't think his game is as predicated around it as, as Cade or Scoots is, yeah. whereas the defense is going to be really, really bad if Scoot and Ivy are our back, backcourt. Um, yeah. If that's like what we long-term go for, it's going to be it's gonna be bad. Just, I mean, they're both athletic, which is good, but and they both try, but man, mm-hmm. that's, that's at asking for, you know, trouble. Yeah, it would be ugly. I, I think that the offensive fit between Scoot and Ivy would be the better, better than the offensive fit between Scoot and and Kate, both of whom just really depend upon being on ball. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, like we said, I mean, Ivy, I was very encouraged this year by his off ball play, and uh, and I think that I don't really have it nearly as much in terms of concerns about his fit with Cade. Uh, but Scoot and Cade, both guys who are best on the ball, uh, where it, it's kind of like a waste to play them too much off the ball. Yeah. I just don't see the fit there at all. I think it's the type of thing where do you get into the calculus of okay, we like the fit with Cade and Ivy. And do we like Brandon Miller with an extra asset to trade up rather than mm-hmm. having to solve the problem of the Cade Ivy uh, scoot dynamic that we yeah. would find ourselves in? So I don't know, because that requires another team to be involved. And you're, now you're getting into a completely separate conversation. But yeah. I think that's a conversation that we would have to have as as fans as, in, within the 100%. organization. Just yeah. Brandon Miller's the cleaner fit. He has the cleaner fit. And the idea is, I mean, I don't subscribe to this notion, which I consider just incredibly oversimplified that you just let the talent works itself out. I don't, I don't subscribe to that at all. I mean, fit is always going to be a consideration in value. So uh, yeah, and I, I just feel like it would be hard on offense to get, I mean, it'd be one of these situations where it's like, you know, one plus one equals one and a half, you know, with, uh, you know, one and two thirds. With and that's still a lot of talent, but I kind of feel like it'd be like this one one plus one equals one and a half with Cade and with Cade and Scoot uh, on offense, and then of course Cade and Ivy would have a better fit, but on defense it would probably be a mess. And yeah, what do you? So I've seen this idea brought up. It's like okay, well just play the three of them together and move Cade to small forward. How would you feel about that? I think that would have to you'd be neutering Cade's overall impact a lot because he is definitely a guy who can play within a lot of different offensive schemes. And I think that mm-hmm. gets misconstrued for this idea that he is scheme agnostic and that he doesn't need to be built around. 
instead, I think in order to maximize Cade, you need to let him be able to make decisions on ball. And we, we only have seen little hints of it given the roster or his injury status, but we were really starting to see him cook in the early part of the, this past season. And that's with um, still a pretty diminished roster relative to the rest of the NBA. And personally, I, I'm more interested in seeing what Cade can, can do um, than what Scoot can do, but I'm also a homer, so take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I think that Cade, I'm confident he'll come back with, with a much improved three-point shot. I mean, the guy in college was a 40% three-point shooter on a very difficult shot diet. So I don't buy that that has just completely deserted him. And yeah. so I think he'll be a true three-level scorer. I mean, he's bulked up, which I think is going to help. I think he'll get to the line a lot more. He's a very, very smart player, a yeah. very, very smart player. And I, I think just that that three-pointer is there, and I think it will be, and I think he'll be a good three, a good pull-up shooter. He's going to be a tough cover. I think he could easily – I think he could be a top 30 player in the NBA this season, in the upcoming season. It will, will basically be his second season. Right. Yeah. And if you play the three of these together, it's not so simple as, oh, well, just move Cade to small forward and, and we'll just play the three of them together because there's a question of synergy. Like how well are they actually going to be able to play together? The idea is to get it at least as much as the sum of your parts. These guys will be less than the sum of their parts. And you're looking at development risk too and, and just being able to share the ball. So, uh, but even beyond that, it's like, it's like you can't just mash players like that uh, together like that and just say, okay, it'll be fine. We'll just move a guy to a different position. Right. Yeah, and, and again, Cade, Cade is primarily a on-ball player. So is he the point forward or the point guard? That That's kind of irrelevant to me. He is that that jumbo ball handler with elite processing ability and tremendous basketball IQ that you need to see handle the rock and you need to see it in a cohesive system and i really question what that would look like with two guys and even a third who need touches to really highlight their strengths and yeah it's it, it'd be fine it'd be one thing if these are all finished products and it, you're the phoenix suns and you can just stick katie booker and chris paul and whoever else out there but these are young dudes still figuring it out. So I don't know if that's the kind of experiment we really need to run. But on a talent level perspective, Scoot is to me the superior pros- prospect to Brandon Miller. Yeah. Like, well, speaking of the Suns, I mean, speaking as somebody who watched this offense in person last night, not that that gives me any additional insights that I saw sure. in person rather than on TV, it was ugly. I mean, these are just a bunch of players who want to go in and, and just create a two point shot. And. It's not a. It's not an offense that flows particularly well. It doesn't help that Aiden was absolutely horrible, and it looks even worse in person if that's possible. But even then, I would be concerned about it. Uh, you know, even if even if they were a finished products, and and that's the kind of situation where it's like, okay, you've got one of these two guys who who are just excellent on the ball. Trade him. You know, trade him for a better prospect. You know, for excuse me, for a good package for a guy who fits better because you want to you want to be able to get the most out of each of your individual guys. And I think it's worth mentioning with Cade that. He's a guy who has all these strengths, but is also a leader. You know, if you want, you know, yeah. your your best guy in the court to also be the leader of your team, yeah. and that's that's an asset that I believe is underrated. Pretty precisely, I, I think that you're you're incredibly salient to point that out because it's Cade doesn't just sort of set the tone on the court. He's a complete culture setter, and 
he's totally transformed, I think, the overall feel of the Pistons. And I don't think Scoot would have a problem meshing with that, so to speak. But Cade has that extra sort of it factor that you really, uh, I think, would struggle to replace if he was gone. Yeah, and I think it would be difficult for the two of them to make it work just based on what each of them provides. I mean, it's it's about getting maximum value for a player. And in that situation, you know, if you have both of them at your peak, at their peak, it's like, well, you know, you want to get maximum value. Maybe that comes of moving one of them. And I suspect, you know, it would be so hard to move on from Cade. You know, you know, a few years from now, it'd be so sad. But, you know, if you want to get maximum value, I mean, maximum value may be moving, you know, moving him for another player at a different position, moving Scoot, for example, for another player at a different position who will provide more value, more like actual value to your team. It's, it's not about uh, like everything, like literally everything in basketball is subordinated to the amount of value any given player is going to provide to your team in particular. Yeah. And obviously team context changes all the time, but uh, you could also just make the argument, Hey, if you get two, then see it as a blessing. You get the opportunity to trade back and get a guy who is also really good and also a much cleaner basketball fit, um, who's got really good upside too. I mean, we went over Brandon Miller last week. It's it, this isn't going to be a consolation prize if um, we end up with Miller in this draft. I I would feel ecstatic to get Miller, quite honestly. So it. It's not, it's two good options, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a tough decision to make because Scoot's such a, such a talented player. Yeah. So where would he be if you had to make a decision right now, if the Pistons were at number two, then it was trade down and get something and take Brandon Miller or take Scoot, what would you do? Gun to my head, I'd, I'd trade down, but you know, it, that's, that's just because I really like Miller. Yeah. I really, really like Miller. That's yeah. That's assuming he's, assuming it wasn't a deliberate accessory to murdering somebody. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I do not know the character context, right? That's a huge, huge aspect that we don't get on the public side, right? That no. we don't know how these people are as employees, as people. Yeah, we know that Troy Weaver is going to do his due diligence, of course, in terms of if, if he is a character fit uh, yeah. and not and, and not uh, an accessory to murder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for my part, uh, I would find it very difficult to pass on Scoot regardless of everything that I've just said, there is, there is something in my head that's like, you don't pass on this guy. You know, you take him and you figure things out down the line. And that probably means trading somebody even despite everything I've just said. It's like, it's like, I'm not sure if I just think that highly of Brandon Miller, do we think he's going to be kind of like a Middleton sort of guy? It would just be real hard for me to pass on Scoot. It would just be hard because just something inside of me is like, don't pass on this guy, you know, regardless of any other factor. And, I can completely understand why anyone would have that position because quite honestly, Scoot is a special talent and Mm -hmm. that's what makes this draft class so unique is that there's two special talents that could very conceivably go number one in nearly every draft. Scoot's more of a more quote unquote mortal um, number one overall pick, but Mm -hmm. he would absolutely be in consideration in tons of years for number one. Oh yeah how good would brandon miller have to be like if you could look in a crystal ball and say okay i know that brandon miller is going to be at least this good like in terms of an nba comp how good would he have to be in that situation for you to take him over scoot yeah uh 
you know, if you could tell me that that we would be getting a decade of a uh, a version of Chris Middleton to pair with Caden Ivey, I think I would take that um, pretty confidently. No matter how no matter how good Scoot turns out, because that would be a tremendous tremendous fit with Caden Ivey. It, mm-hmm. It's exactly what we need, and that it, it, I I see that within Miller, and that's kind of a gamble I'd be willing to take, but. I understand, like, Scoot's a special talent, and you don't pass on talent. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, we can talk about value, but talent creates value. So, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I go back to that. Talent creates value, but but uh, the, the value of any player at any given team is going to be different. <clears throat> True. Is, is, how I, is, is how I feel about it. Yeah, it's... I don't remember how I used to put it, <clears throat> but it's like... Yeah, when it comes to like best available, best available, best player available, that's just a term that I've never liked because best player available is going to be different for any given team because you know it all just comes down to the value that a player is providing to your team in particular. But yeah, as far as for, for me for that for that question, you know, like Peak Middleton, you know, maybe maybe that gets you there. I had it in my head because it's probably because I watched Booker play yesterday. It's like can Miller be kind of like Jumbo Booker? I'm quite certain the answer is no, but. At, at, yeah, I mean, very few people, if any, are are Booker levels like scorers, but he's unique in terms of what he does. Yeah, a very unique player. And but if you get a version, it, I mean, if you tell me that he's a a jumbo Booker esque scorer, then whoa, I'm I'm taking him too. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that then I would make perfect sense. But yeah, uh, I don't I don't think we've seen anything that substantiates the Not notion that, he, that yeah. Not quite. Yeah. So, all right. Any closing thoughts? Um, you know, I, I want Scoot, but I'm scared. <laughs> That's, yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I mean, uh, what I keep coming back to is the Pistons can easily avoid having to make this choice by just picking number one instead. I mean, it's yeah. that simple. Right. Like, yeah. I mean. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's all it takes. I mean, all you have to do is just get good and pick number one. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's all. Up. Yeah. Just, just, just do it. You know. Just do it. Make your dreams mm-hmm. come true. Yep. Just pick uh, number one. And, yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And in any case, entirely different conversation. Yeah, I feel like, like obviously, it's like great if the Pistons get number two. You know that that's a good outcome. However, it's going to make for a slightly stressful month or five weeks until the draft if that happens. Yeah. You know, two that's, and five. The, oh, this yeah. is, two and five are are the only outcomes I'm sweating. Um, I feel very, four. I very, I feel very confident at what would happen at one, three, or four. What would be number four for you? I mean, you're getting probably Cam Whitmore, and hmm. that's another guy I'm. I'd be pretty excited for. So interesting. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we are only as the this episode when we're recording it right now. Uh, in about two weeks, actually, exactly two weeks from now, it's a lottery night. And we'll be about four hours past seeing where the Pistons are going to pick. So it's mm-hmm. definitely coming up. So, yeah, next week's going to be Victor. So uh, Price will be back with us again. Uh, of course, Price, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Yep, thank you. And as always, want to thank you folks for listening. Catch you in the next episode.